Welcome to the CRE Podcast, 100% Canadian, 100% commercial real estate. Now, here are your hosts, Aaron Cameron and Adam Pawatic. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast powered by First National. I'm your co-host, Aaron Cameron. With me, as always, is Adam Pawatic. We're recording in isolation on June 16th, 2020 today. This is, of course, part of our Forma series with, with, our, with our valued partner, Forma. Our guest today, a gentleman named Raymond Wong, who is the Vice President of Data Operations and Data Solutions for Altis Group. Thanks for joining us, Ray. Thanks for inviting me. So I'm excited about this because this is all about numbers. And, and we were just talking before we hit record and Ray was saying that, you know, he's going to try to stay out of the weeds a bit, but I'm going to encourage you to get down there a little bit, you know, show the interesting statistics. Let's get those numbers out there because I think everybody loves, you know, showing that they know something that's a current, current data with whatever the topic may be. Just to set the stage for everybody, we're going to kind of run through asset classes, Ray's well-versed and basically the four major food groups and probably others if we get there. We're going to try to cover the countries. So hold on tight. It's going to be fast and furious. Ray, before we get into the nitty gritty, let's start with you know your background. How did you end up in real estate? How did you end up at Altus Group? How did you end up in data operations and data solutions? Well, I think like everyone else, you never really know. You ultimately have a plan through university where you want to end up. And I, I was planning to work for a municipality. And then I sort of got the bug through brokers, commercial real estate. So I started with Roller Page Commercial back in 89, and I've been in research for slightly over 30 years. So one, I started off as a sales trainee so in research, like a lot of the people that start with the brokerage firms and gradually focused on industrial, then the suburban market. And then I also spent about five years on the consulting side with the Roller Page Advisory Group at that time. And again, during that time, I, it was just speaking with a lot of different um, clients, different perspectives on markets, so different investors, asset management. So I got a lot more interested into the numbers, the trends, and sort of the highest and best use studies. And from there, the opportunity sort of came up to run the national research group. So I sort of started that group up and started to produce national analysis and and as well as get into the forecast market with forecasting office industrial across Canada. And then the opportunity came up with CBRE with similar role with respect to market trends, but again, a little bit more work with the media and a chance to work with their econometric forecasting group. I spent about seven years working with uh, that position. Then I was asked to run research for the Americas. So I basically tracked the market from Argentina up to Canada and I oversaw close to about 300 research people in all the markets. And uh, more recently, I made the switch back to the Canadian marketplace about three years ago and decided to just try to focus on the Canadian market with trends and analysis. So it's, it's upcoming July 2nd will be my three years with uh, the Autos Group focusing on data operations with uh, data solutions. I have slightly over 60 research people across Canada collecting, compiling information, and then for us to again, produce our forecast and analysis for office industrial and get more into sort of where the market's heading and where values and what are the possible implications of, especially this global pandemic, to real estate values and, and future demand? That's quite the pedigree, Ray. At night, you must dream in charts and data, I imagine, with all the information you've had to process mentally over the last however many years of your career. We decided for this podcast, we we're going to go through the four 
major food groups in order to kind of break up the data information a bit. And we're going to start with what is arguably the best story during the pandemic, which is industrial. And as Ray had mentioned before, is his favorite asset class. We want to get right into that. Ray was kind enough to share some information with us before we got on the podcast. So I wanted to lead off with a question about industrial. There was some information that Ray shared that shows what groups are doing in terms of their transactions being on hold and how long they plan on having that for. Just as a teaser, all asset classes, everybody's over 50% of the groups are entirely on hold. But the big question is, when are they going to come back into the market? And I was surprised to see that out of the asset classes, that a significant portion of the industrial market is still going to be waiting six months before they would look at transactions again versus some of the other asset classes that have more issues that would appear to attract attention a little earlier. So why do you think that people will be reticent to get into industrial transactions, given that it's by far the hottest asset class right now? Well, the Altus Group produces an assumption survey, and basically that's a survey to over 100 of our clients to ask where they see the marketplace heading and how they see sort of investment volume or when are they going to get back into the marketplace. So in March, that's when sort of the pause took place. And it's a natural pause whereby brokers and owners and investors did not get a chance to actually see the asset other than virtually or brochures, but they're sort of missing that touch and feel aspect of it. So right off the bat, the last three months with the market pause, not having the ability to actually see those assets and run the actual numbers, and as well as have certain people sort of visit the property, there's a natural pause. So when it takes about six months, that sort of takes into account because this the survey sort of took place in end of April. That it sort of takes that account. But I think what investors, and it's not just the industrial specialists, they're taking the time to sort of pause. What does this all mean with the pandemic and with some of the, the rent deferments? And there has been a request for rent deferments in industrial as well. So it's not just on the retail side and the apartment side, especially with the small bay um, industrial users who are sort of supplying to sort of specialty retailers that because of that closure, they were knocking the same orders compared to some of the bigger stores or did not have a sort of an online presence. So there has been some sort of negativity on the industrial side, but not the same as the other asset class. And as we all know, E-commerce continues to drive uh, the demand for warehouse distribution, and we're sort of anticipating a lot more demand in that area going forward because of this. So there's sort of a pause in the marketplace, but a lot of that hesitation for the next six months is based on the three months that have passed, plus the reevaluation, reevaluating their asset class, their acquisition strategy, and spending more time with trying to understand the assets and the numbers basically doing more homework on individual assets. If I can raise a counterpoint to something you mentioned, the actual logistics of touring properties, of course, is difficult in all asset classes. But I know when you speak to investors, they do refer to industrial as a more of a buy-the-pound kind of purchase, yeah. You know, where the, the immediate location of retail can really affect the value of a property, whereas industrial is more easier to apply broad metrics to because of the utility of the space. So when people do start to resume transactions at some level. Do you think that would influence the early sales cycle, the ability of industrial to be evaluated largely without having to get too up close and personal? To a certain extent, you're absolutely right because you have the clear height, you have the square footage, you know that the you're built on it. You know you would probably have a history of the tenants that have gone through that space. 
So the relatively shape of the building and that's easier to make a transaction. With that pause in the marketplace, it's not necessarily that deals have stopped. First quarter, a lot of that deal activity for all asset class, including industrial, was basically sort of a overhang of 2019. 2019 was sort of a record year, fourth quarter. 2019 was a record year for investment transactions. So a lot of that sort of went into first quarter. And when we looked at our first quarter numbers, they were pretty well the same compared to a year ago. A year ago, you didn't have that pandemic. And Toronto itself, you're looking at, what, $4.1 billion a year ago compared to 4.0. But the actual number of transactions were up. So that was carryover from 2019. Now, what we're seeing in sort of what we see so far as the start of 2Q for 2020 is that deal volume is off by about, say, 50% in most of the markets. So deals are still happening. And they're still being closed. And some of those deals are actually transpired in probably about maybe January and early February and have uh, between a three to four month closing period. So we're going to see the first signs of a slowdown based on the closings in 2Q. But we're going to see the real impact of the global pandemic in the second half of this year. So you're right that deals were still being done. And the most sought after was sort of the apartment side and the industrial side, and deals are still getting done, but it still has slowed the process. Keeping with industrial, maybe for one more point. First, Adam referred to it before we hit record. You said industrial is your favorite asset class. Why? Well, it's also, I'm very conservative. As a researcher, I'm very conservative with our thoughts, uh, my thoughts and analysis. And with industrial, if the market goes up 5 to 10% on rents, it's minimal compared to, say, retail and office, which is have a bigger swing. And industrial is a product that people need. And especially with growth of e-commerce, you can't really go wrong with industrial, you know, the big box, uh, the bombers for your warehouse distribution. Even though your smaller industrial buildings and urban areas, some of that has been converted to other uses, but also some of those buildings are used for to help with the challenges with logistics with some of the retail stores. So having locations within sort of urban areas cuts down the, the, some of the costs for home delivery of, of certain items. So I find with industrial, it's pretty versatile with regards to the type of uses and type of demand. And as well as some of those locations that, again, they're, especially the older ones, they're also primed for redevelopment for higher and um, better uses for office or even res or, or mixed use. And that's what we're sort of doing. So industrial, it's sort of like a, a banking of, of, of certain assets that sort of holds its value, is, is clipping coupons to a certain extent, and there is value um, at the end of it, um, depending on uh, the location and usage. As Aaron knows, I'm always focused on investment and cap rates and returns. So I feel I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about you know cap rates in industrial. The data you shared with us prior indicated that market sentiment is that cap rates will remain flat, predominantly flat for that asset class. It shows a lot of faith, but I believe there's also indications that rent might go up. So is there a foreseeable future where we're going to see valuations overall increase for industrial in the near term? You see, the thing with industrial is that the availability rate is low. For GTA, it's, it's 2%. Even with, with Alberta, the availability rate for industrial is between 6 and 8%. So compared to the office market, 
the industrial has done well, even in the softening market. And never mind Vancouver with less than 2% availability rate. So because of, of, of that, and industrial, there's not a lot of spec construction. There's a lot of design build. So there's not a lot of overbuilding that area unless the building is, is and because of that's known to um, to investors, if they have a demand for a half a million square foot industrial user, they'll build a million square feet and they know that they'll probably lease out that space before it's actually completed. So you have a sort of constrained supply in the marketplace based on different options and as well as especially with some of the e-commerce players that you need bigger space and less less just doesn't exist. So for the newer space built in the last, say, 10 years, there's a great deal of demand and the rents are definitely going up because of the shortage of supply. And even though that chart showed sort of flattening of cap rates, for core assets, and not just for the industrial, but on the multi-res and as well as the apartment side, cap rates, they will go down further. Again, that depends on that actual asset and that positioning. So we're not saying this is the end of cap rates declining. It's going to be flattening for the most part, especially in the core assets. But with sort of the secondary or the the B or C assets, we may see a slight increase in that area. And again, it sort of depends on location. So we're not saying that it's going to, for the most part, it's going to remain flat, but there's going to be a few surprises. Every year, I'm surprised with some of the prices, especially with on the multi-res side and what the cap rates are being paid at for certain assets. But I think even with this pandemic and with the low availability rate and shortage supply that we may see some assets, industrial assets, drop below the, the record cap rates that we've seen over the past two years. You mentioned multis, and we're going to go there next. This is the last industrial question that we're going to move on. You know, we talk, we often ask our guests this, this question. And it's kind of like, you know, you have $5 million. What asset class do you invest in? I'm assuming I know the answer to the asset class. So maybe I'll ask what subclass of industrial and what jurisdiction, what geography would you invest that $5 million or 10 or 20? The money is to just pick a point is what subclass and where, where would you do it? You know, at this point, I'm sort of considering my age as well, because if, I, if it's a long-term hold, I may look at sort of uh, an area that's in the urban area. I'll pay a little bit more just because of the location, but the payoff down the road, I think will be good and it's stable demand for sort of a, a bit of a return. The challenge with industrial is that it's expensive now and uh, the further upside of the asset might take a little bit longer just because of where the rental rates are and keep pushing out to the further um, stretches of the GTA or the outline areas just because the poundage and the, and the price per acre is a little bit less. But again, I like the urban industrial just from a logistics standpoint and delivering to consumers. And the further you get out, even though you build a lot of efficiencies into your warehouse, the cost to get the product to your consumers, I think it's going to be challenging. And especially, I think, going forward with traffic congestion and other issues, especially with Toronto and Vancouver. So I really like urban industrial just from sort of the upside potential as well as the consistency in demand for those assets. I like the pick, even though it is definitely a hard sub-asset class to get into to find those opportunities, but definitely a good pick. We're going to move on to multis next, which would be Aaron's and mine favorite. So, so far, we've stuck with all our favorite <laughs> asset classes, but apartments are always fun to talk about. In looking at the data that you put together, one that stuck out to me right away was this is Q1 data, of course. So this would be dated up until right until 
COVID started changing our world, but the volume of sales transactions was way up from the Q1 2019. With that much momentum heading into this downturn, would that be a stabilizing force on the asset class? Well, yes. The challenge with well, the challenge with all asset classes is the asset that will come to market. And we've seen some good volume on the transaction side. And we've also seen that this has been sort of the lowest cap rates on the acquisition, especially with multi-res with a little bit of excess land or prime for redevelopment or some sort of restructure. So I think the momentum for demand for industrial and for multi-res will always be there. But I think the challenge will be finding those type of assets and portfolios because I think that's what's been uh, a little bit slow in the beginning of this year is that there has been a few sort of portfolios or small portfolios on the marketplace, but it's not at the same pace. So it's interesting. The danger with the stats is that it doesn't sometimes show you the full picture from demand. And investment volume on the multi-res side could be up or down, but depending on the asset, doesn't mean that asset isn't in demand, but it just means that the type of product out there is, is not as available compared to previous years. I'm just going to ask one more on the data. The investor sentiment there in terms of how long they're on hold for was interesting in that it was definitely people holding out for the three-month, six-month mark, but there was nobody waiting the year. Do you think it's an indication that we'll see activity in apartment much sooner than some of the other asset classes? Or significant activity would be a better way of putting it. Yeah, and again, multi-res is high in demand and it's high on the list for all the or most of the investors. It's like clipping coupons. So you know that you're, you're going to get a, a good return on it and there's not much fluctuation on it. And everyone needs a place to live. If you look at the CMAT um, vacancy rates, it's very low across Canada. So I think you know, there has been not much of a concern, even though it gets a lot of media hype in regards to rent deferments, non-payment of rents, and people are, are aware of that. And, and you hit April, May, and the next date is um, July 1. But the government just announced the extension of the down to help people through an additional two months in regards to subsidies or providing out of that fund. So I think that's going to help the multi-res market. The concern was what happens in October when that sort of subsidy or that gift sort of ends from the federal level. And it looks like that's continuing. So that's going to have a little bit more reassurance on the multi-res side for paying some of that rent. So I think because of it's still in demand and there's a little bit more of a comfort level that maybe that there's going to be an extension that we know that's going to take a little bit longer for the economy to sort of speed up again. But again, there's still a lot of confidence in that asset class. It'll be really interesting to see how, you know, as people come back out of COVID and start, you know, deciding to deploy their capital, particularly in the multi-res space, of course, as Adam indicated, that's our favorite. So we can probably speak a little bit more in detail to it. You know, the things that I'm hearing from our clients, whether we back up, I can confirm the rental. I mean, from anecdotally and really with from receiving rent receipts from our clients. So they're getting 80 to 90, sometimes 95% of their payments from their tenants. So that really hasn't, you know, people were worried it was going to be 50% or 60%. And, you know, we heard early on, there were these sort of protests, like don't pay rent kind of thing, but that clearly hasn't transpired. What we are seeing though, is some of the fundamentals that really made 
Maltese so attractive, as you indicated, sort of that durability and stability of the cash flow. Obviously, with the impact of immigration, you know, who knows what the numbers are, but it's not going to be 350,000 new entrants into Canada this year. And I think TO, Toronto, I think we got upwards of 100,000 of those annually. And I think, you know, there was 50, 60, 70 that went to Vancouver. I mean, the, they went to the major hubs. So that, that's, of course, that new renter is going to have an impact on rents and demand for sure. Then there's the Airbnb units that are now turning, converting to long-term. And then the one that's, that's getting me is, you know, the renter is often the person that's most impacted by these types of events, whether it's COVID or what we're, we're eventually going to have, so the economic fallout. And what, how does that impact their ability to pay the rents or their ability to stay in central location? Do they decide to go somewhere else trying to chase employment? Again, it's way too early to say it. And I tend to agree with you, Ray, that cap rates are probably going to stay fairly flat, but it's really curious how people start underwriting these things. And if they are discounting the rents or what kind of time frame they think it's going to get back to. Because you know, pre-COVID, some of that downtown new product that was coming online sort of in 2020, you know, we were seeing four, four and a quarter, four and a half, five bucks was I think a stretch, but there were some pro formers out there that had five bucks for penthouse units, et cetera, et cetera. I just don't think we get back to that space in 2021, maybe not 2022. It's going to take some time. And I'm just curious, you know, how your numbers, you know, after everything I've kind of just thrown at you, you know, what your numbers may suggest or just what your personal feelings are on that topic. Wow, that's that's a lot to go through, Aaron. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Really, it's rent demand. <laughs> what I'm asking and I'm evidencing is that there's some there's a lot of negative forces or headwinds on rental demand and rental prices. And my instinct is that they just can't be sustained at the level they were pre-COVID. So, and then the question, how long does it take to get back to those pre-COVID rent levels? Yeah, and we watch for that as well. And with immigration almost uh, halting for, for the remainder of this year and population growth is a minimal. One thing that I haven't heard compared to the last financial crisis in 2007 and 2008, and this is more so when I made the switch over to the U.S., but I'm not hearing that people are moving home. Right. So they're sort of sticking it out in regards to their apartments and they're not abandoning it. So I'm sure there are some cases where they're abandoning their um, apartment and either moving in with somebody or, or going back home. But we haven't heard that headline in the media and with them moving back home. So I think I agree with you that the demand for, for housing won't be as strong because of the mainstay with immigration. And that, to a certain extent, that also may hurt us in the office front and some of the talent, depending on how fast the office market sort of comes back with hiring people, because we depend largely on the influx of immigration for, for talent in that marketplace. But everything that you said with what's happening with Airbnb converting to sort of a long-term rental, that's going to result in, in some of the increase in available inventory, as well as how long it will take for business travel again. And again, I've been traveling basically for my last 12 years. And to not get on the plane, even though I hated traveling, I kind of miss it. And But I'm not sure until we have a vaccine, people want to sort of visit in person and definitely the, the conferences are down. So I think we're going to see a little bit more sort of um, changes than the Airbnb, especially if the demand is not there. So I, I agree with your comments that we're not going to see the levels that we saw in the last five years on the multi-res side until later part of 2021 or 2022. Again, a lot of these discussions that we're having now is sort of based on, is there a vaccine or 
there's no vaccine. And if there is, I think the recovery in a marketplace of economy will go faster. I think we're not going to return to a normalcy with respect to the amount of demand, people working, everyone back in the office. I think there's going to be a compromise in that respect to people working from home because it has worked and people are going to the office and there's going to be sort of more wellness concerns on HVAC systems and so on and so forth. So I think on the on the multi-res side, we will see demand sort of falter a little bit. And I think we're also going to see there was a number of bidding wars or certain apartment rentals in the past five years based on location and uh, the heating up of rental rates, especially in the urban areas, close to public transportation. But now I think we're seeing that it's not sort of, it's a slight drop in, in rental rates, but nothing massive. But I don't think you're going to see the bidding wars on certain rentals as much. You may see it for a few of them, but I think that's come off as well. So result of that, I think you're going to see some rental rates softening and definitely not collapsing and uh, definitely not dropping by a large percentage. But I think there will be some tweaks there. And I think you're also going to see some perhaps increased demand in rentals in the suburbs, because especially with the people that for the last three and a half months that have been sharing a 340 square foot condo downtown, renting it with two people, you know, I think they need more space. And if they're planning for some sort of a second wave, they want to be in a position whereby they don't have to be locked down with the same person and sharing under 400 square feet of space. So I think we're going to see a bit of a movement or at least more uh, investigation into the urban versus suburban concept. And again, more poundage um, based on a dollar per square foot in the suburbs versus the urban area. So I think we're going to see a shift in this area, but I still believe that this is a very strong asset class and will continue to be very um, in strong demand by investors. So, so following from that, if you know, we're all in agreement that we might see a, a slight reduction in rental rates over the foreseeable future. The cap rate investor sentiment was stable from A-class core assets to lower quality assets in suburban markets. The investor sentiment is the cap rates are going to remain flat. And of course, if you apply a flat cap rate to less income, you if you have slightly less rent, you're going to have slightly less value. So does that follow that you think we might see slightly less value if cap rates remain the same and rents take a bit of a temporary hit? Let me premise the other comment as well. I don't see massive drops in apartment rental rates. I see some softening in certain areas, but I definitely think um, rental rates will sort of flat, but there will be some areas that will be some have some softness reduction. Now, with again, when we talk about quality assets, again, it's, it's industrial and apartments that are in strong demand. So sometimes what's happening with the income flow or the rental doesn't reflect in the cap rates. Because it's especially for certain assets that some assets don't really come on the market that often. And when they do, there's multiple bidders. So even though there could be some rental rates that are moving downwards based on location on the asset, depending on the number of bidders, the cap rates may still drop because of just that demand for the asset. And then that's not just for the multi-res, but for industrial as well. That some of the cap rates are being paid on some of the buildings aren't based on the current usage or the current building. And we talked earlier about possible redevelopment or expansion of some of those multi-res properties. So the rental rates may not reflect what the true value is and what the investor is buying is that future value, that asset, that future return once that property is fully realized in terms of development and returns. So that's why 
the stats are a little bit interesting to watch that when you look at it, sometimes it doesn't make any sense with some of the rental rates falling, but the cap rates falling at the same time. And again, this is all based on demand and the actual assets and whether or not there's two bidders or are there 10 bidders for that asset class. Yeah, we, I don't think we have time to cover it here, Ray, but of course, in the apartment space, because of CMEC financing, interest rates are still historically low, which, you know, of course, is a direct correlation to, to cap rates. And let's move on to retail. I'm not even sure where to go. I mean, I, I guess I'll start with, we talked to uh, another individual on a previous podcast who was indicating that they're seeing business closures in the retail space of about 10%. So maybe just talk through what your statistics are showing and how you feel that's going to impact valuations and the market at large. Well, I just want to qualify that we don't track the retail market uh, as close as we do as the opposite uh, industrial. So we, we sort of, it's more of an observation on the retail side, but we do know that retail has been sort of a gray area and going through uh, sort of an evolution. It's been an evolution for the last 20 years with experimental sort of experience retail and drawing in people. So what this global pandemic has done on the retail side is accelerated things. So the retailers that did not have a strong sort of e-commerce strategy sort of struggled through this. And they were sort of on the borderline of surviving going through 2020. And this pandemic sort of perhaps pushed over some of the smaller retailers. And it has also adjusted some of the expectations from the chains. And recently with Starbucks, their plan for closing a number of Canadian locations, and the restaurants. It's all about survivability on the retail side now, I, I think. It's sort of now with, with curbside pickup, they're going to be opening up 50% or 30% of their dining rooms and, and allowing for expansion into the patios. I'm not sure it's going to make up for the last three months of closures, and definitely the takeout has it. So I think we're going to see some more adjustments. And it's the owners as well with the Oxfords and the Brookfields are trying to work with each of the retailers and just trying to get them through the next, get them through 2020. So each one is on an individual basis. I think we're going to see some closures. And again, I think it's going to be um, not just on the clothing, but all sectors, including being hit by the, on the restaurant side. And what we're looking at that as a greater and. Retail has always been in that sort of gray area for investment. You, know, you can't beat the location, right? And maybe it's outlived its economic life as a retail. So we're, you're looking at perhaps redevelopment, uh, especially with those locations. But there has been some major changes in the retail side, especially with some of the, the malls looking at alternative uses like car dealerships moving in there, perhaps um, in some of the tertiary markets, some community centers, some medical offering some mixed uses of the retail. So that's being tweaked a little bit. But I think we're going to see a lot more challenges and it's definitely on the rent part of collecting and as well as further discounts in some of the those rental rates for definitely the B and C asset classes, but I think it's going to be a challenge for the remainder of this year and going into next year. In the investor sentiment portion of the, the, the data that you sent over is very firmly in both the A class and B class retail that the indication is that cap rates are going to increase. But would that sentiment have already been there prior to COVID or do you think that this has been accelerated with everything that's gone on? Because you mentioned, of course, this is not nothing new, the, the turbulence in retail. 
And especially in the secondary and tertiary markets, because some of the assets or listings were sort of pulled from the secondary and tertiary markets based on the bid-ask expectation. So even with this pandemic, I think, and then that's going to cause some of the hesitations in the market this year as well. It's not just on the retail side. I think there's certain expectation with everything you just mentioned with, with softening of rents and with higher vacancy rates that some of the investors are anticipating more of a price drop compared to some of the offerings in the marketplace. And from the owner's standpoint, they never want to sort of sell at a discount. So there's going to be certain expectations there. So part of the delay that we're going to see in the marketplace will be some of that hesitation and that gap between the owner expectation and the investor expectation, how much the asset should sell for. But with your earlier point, Adam, that a lot of this on the retail side has just been accelerated this year with certain non-performing assets. But again, from the core side, retail, like your Yorkdales and your Bayviews would always continue to well and attract tenants and consumers. But if you look at on the retail side as well with Yorkdales and Bayview Villages, that they're also looking at adding increased residential condo or office employment to intensify the use of the property to try to increase returns, right? So there's that element for the assets as well. The other thing that I think we need to mention is that how the landlords have also sort of helped the tenants, especially with Brookfield and Simon, that are investing in some of the retailers to keep them afloat. So I think there's a concerted effort from both the owners and the tenancy standpoint that we're going to see that happen. Do you want to take the call, Ray? I'm, I'm just kidding. No, sorry. I forgot to shut that off. Apologies. <laughs> it's quite all right. It's happened before and it'll happen again. So it's quite all right. I guess we should move on to office. I guess we've kind of gone in, you know, gotten through what is, is the most troubling asset class. Now we can you know, move into office. The real interesting part that I saw looking at the numbers you sent over, we are talking, of course, about you know transactions today, is of all the asset classes, office had the lowest amount of groups that are currently on hold. It's still a lot, it's still 50%, but it's the lowest of all the asset classes. You know, apartments was at 51%. And then interestingly, the chart also breaks down on when people are going to get back in the market. And it, it looks like office is going to be back in the market faster than any other asset class, which is interesting given all the question marks surrounding office because people for the large part have not gone back yet. So we haven't answered all of the questions that are circulating now. So if the investors you're speaking with, what do you think is driving that desire to get back into transacting offices, even with all of the uncertainty? Office works. I think we, there's a still that need for office, despite a number of the companies that announced that they want to, or the employees don't have to come back in. But you need that synergy, you need that collaboration, and you need that, this, I know this ages me, this water cooler talk. You need that exchange of information. So from that standpoint, I still think it's a solid asset. So I think with this pause in the marketplace that companies are reevaluating what sort of works for their employees to work from home and what they need in the office. So I think what people are going to find is that there's some components that works very well from home and some others won't. And there's going to be an adjustment of the space requirements, especially the new deals. So the deals that we're seeing in the numbers we have so far, we're off by about in Toronto, about 40% of the lease activity compared to a year ago. 
And part of that is the hesitation. Part of that is the pause in the market. And part of that is probably reevaluating what their needs are. But at the opposite standpoint, you're also seeing some of the clients considering taking more space just to allow for social distancing for a wellness standpoint. And you have to understand, there's about 5 million square feet in Vancouver, close to about 10 million square feet of office construction taking place right now in, in Toronto in the downtown alone. And over 76% of that has already been pre-leased. So that's not going to turn on a dime where there's going to be massive office vacancy rates. But at the same time, we also know downtown, first quarter versus second quarter in 2020, there's been an increase of close to about 300,000 square feet of sublet space in downtown. So that sort of tells you that there are some of the tenants that are giving back some of the space. But you also have to understand the downtown office availability rate is less than 4%. So it's still relatively tight. So that, it doesn't surprise me from an office standpoint that investors are still willing to invest in this asset class. Because again, what we said earlier is that it's going to be a lot be dependent on whether or not we have a vaccine or not. But at the same time, I don't think it's going to be back to normal. I don't think we're going to see 100% occupancy uh, level back in with, with tennis. There's going to be sort of a compromise that maybe instead of five days a week working from home, it's three days or two days and the rest in the office. But I st- still think you need that interaction and these Zoom meetings just don't do that for you. And it doesn't really sort of replace that sort of uh, accidental conversation. You have a hallway with somebody else that pushes a new idea or new, the next great idea for the tech side or the financial side. So I think you, you very much need that still. That's why I think that demand for office is still there because I think it's also an asset class that we still need. Yeah, office is an interesting one for sure and that there's strong arguments to be made on both the increase and decrease side for demand. And maybe that's being reflected in people's belief that they want to transact in it, and that would be a, an endorsement of it. But on the counter side, in the same data set that we looked at, the expectations for cap rate trends over the next 12 months for A-class assets, it's split between increase and stable. And in lower class office assets, it's virtually all in the increase category. So is that an endorsement that lack of office demand will lead to lower lease rates, if the cap rates are expected to go up? Well, I think that's also based on expectation, right? And again, it's that bid-ask expectation from some of the investors uh, based on some of the, the assets and some softening of perhaps demand that cap rates may move up a little bit. But I think for certain, similar to the industrial side, um, for certain core assets, I don't think they're really going to move at all. Again, perhaps even a slight decrease. But I think for just because of the size of the office market, there's some expectations on some office properties that the cap rates will sort of move up. Because I think the expectation over the next six to nine months is that there will be some movement of cap rates higher for almost all the asset classes. It just depends on to what degree. And it also depends on the sellers as well. Do they think that they need to dispose of the asset at perhaps a, a bit of a discount or less of a profit than they were expecting? And that may push the cap rates up right now. And the challenge we have right now is we're sort of in the middle ground. Uh, we're still waiting for the stats to come out. And we're still waiting for that next sort of transaction on a certain asset class to really test the market and really test the values. So a lot of the discussions right now with that survey, again, that was taking place in um, end of April. And our, we're just compiling our assumption survey now 
for end of May. And I think we're going to see slightly different results because I think in end of April, people were sort of not panicking, but a little bit more concerned of how long this pandemic is going to grow. And at that time, there's a lot more cases. And now cases sort of leveling off and whether or not that's going to impact their expectation of cap rate. So I agree with your comments that there is maybe a push in that area. But again, that's still based on survey and we haven't really seen the transactions to really prove that out yet. Yeah, to your point about us operating somewhat in a, in a vacuum of data, that must be frustrating for a, a data-driven fellow like yourself. But we are all anxiously awaiting Q2 results as well. And you know, we'd love to have you back on to talk about those if, if they do come to light shortly. One thing I want to ask you about was, as a comparable to what we're going through right now, you could look at the oil downturn, how it affected the office market in Alberta. And one of the reasons cited for the office market, despite taking very substantial losses in rent and obviously a big vacancy hit, the resiliency was largely due to institutional ownership. And the institutional ownership, of course, is prevalent across the country, not just not in that market. So how much of a factor do you think the ownership of the offices will contribute to stability in that marketplace and no panic sales or that you might see in other asset classes? Well, very much so. And because of that level of stability in the marketplace, it's also given confidence to other investors as well to sort of remain in the marketplace. And plus, it's also depending on the expectation of return or whether or not they, want, they might want to take a, a haircut or not on certain assets. And even though the whole thing with Calgary and Alberta, third and fourth quarter 2019, we were starting to see... Uh, increase in demand for office space. And it wasn't until what was happening with the resource sector and a double hit with the pandemic that we started to see vacancy rates or sort of availability rates in office starting to move up again. So we think that that institutional ownership definitely plays a big part for stability, not just from the ownership investor side, but from a tenancy standpoint as well. They have an Oxford and a number of other major owners in that marketplace. Sort of, a, it's a confidence boost for that market and for that economy, and also helps reassure that some of the larger tenants in there that they have a little bit more confidence with the ownership profile. Ray, you know, we're running out of time and we always like to kind of finish these things off on a positive note. So maybe let's just talk about where you think this is going, right? We're, again, it's June 16th. What does July, August, September look like? Or maybe even just what does Q3 look like for our community? And where does your statistics, where does your data point to? Well, again, with, with what we're seeing with return to the office or phase one or phase two, it's going to be slow and gradual. There's not going to be sort of a, a V or U shape. I think it's more like a hockey stick, a slow, gradual return in the economy. And because of that, I think in second, third, and new fourth quarter, the deal activity will definitely be off. And when we compare it to 2007, 2008, deal activity a year, year and a half after the financial crisis, just because of the lag with the transactions and, and closing, was off by 50%. So I think we're going to see more of that. And I agree with your comments earlier that I don't really see a a big spike in demand or a real change until sort of mid to early 2021. And I think it's going to be slow and gradual as companies sort out their strategy is for for leasing space, as well as see what's going to happen with e-commerce. Is that an all-time high? But when stores reopen again, it'd be interesting to see whether or not it decreases. There will be an increase. but 
decrease, but I don't think it's going to decrease back to the original level we had in 2019. And we already just saw the U.S. numbers that the retail sales are up. So whether or not we're going to see that. So there's a lot to it'll be interesting to see. I, I see on the real estate side, it's still sort of slow, gradual recovery, but I don't really see a big pickup until 2021. All right, everybody, you heard it here. Keep pushing forward because there are better days ahead. Ray, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast today. It's great to have somebody with you know your background and data-driven view of, of real estate come on and enlighten us to what is the truth of the market. You know, it is a great source rather than just conversations we have amongst each other where our, our worst fears run rampant. So I feel happier after having spoken to you. I want to thank Informa for introducing us to Ray and inviting him to the podcast. Much appreciated, Informa. I want to thank Aaron for co-hosting with me and for First National for powering the podcast. Ray, thanks again. Thank thanks, you. Ray. That was fun. great. Yeah, really enjoyed that combo. Thank you for listening to the CRE podcast. The information from this broadcast is not to be relied upon as financial investing, professional accounting, or legal advice. First National Financial LP holds Financial Services Commission of Ontario License Number 10514 and 11252.